In this episode of Industries at Work COVID-19 edition, the Council's Membership Development Director, Ken Hoppenhoff, talks with Denise Brown, Vice President and Executive Claims Consultant at InterWest Insurance Services, and Rick Harrison, Vice President at InterWest. Focusing on the agricultural industry, they discuss how the pandemic affected different agricultural companies in vastly different ways, and what coverage and claims may look like going forward. Take a listen. Rick and Denise, thank you for joining us here today and for sharing your perspective and inputs and insights on the agricultural industry and how it's managing COVID-19. Uh, so let's just jump right into our questions. Um, can you both briefly describe COVID-19's impact on the agriculture industry and more specifically how general liability, workers' compensation, a business owner policy risk and other related coverages may have been affected by the pandemic. Well, I, I think it's, uh, we need to note that it didn't affect agriculture the same way um, from a financial standpoint. Some companies got hurt badly, others it virtually had no effect and, and some other companies may have actually prospered from it. And that differs from other industries like the hotel and the restaurant industry, which I think everybody would say they got hammered pretty badly um, because of it. But, you know, ag is an essential industry. Essentially, it never shut down. And um, the, the, there's two factors in determining how it affected somebody's business. And I, I would say the first one is who was your customer? If your customer was food service, there's a good chance you got hurt very badly. Revenue from food service sales probably dropped by 90%. And the second is what stage of the, of the growing process were you in in March and April? Um, so for example, you may have a produce uh, producer or grower in the desert that had crops that were coming off and had primarily food service accounts in March and April, and they disked up their entire crops. So they've got the input of it. And from what I understand, there may be some very large growers that may not recover from this because of that. Um, on the other spectrum would be farmers in the Central Valley that essentially had nothing going on at that time. They might be getting ready to plant. They had no product coming off to sell and nothing going to market. And they were pretty much unaffected. And the third may be somebody who uh, produces for retail and retail sales jumped tremendously. I've got one client said their resale, retail sales jumped 200%. Their food service, which was, was 50 or 60% of their business dropped by 90%. Um, I've got another uh, client or friend who packaged further processed meat products for retail. And they went from running one eight hour shift to two 12 hour shifts, seven days a week. So they're, they're doing pretty well. So it, nobody was affected the same or not all aspects of agriculture were affected the same. And I would just add to, um, as it pertains to their actual insurance coverage and going forward, that um, I think it's pretty obvious when, when you look in the news that the industry wasn't anticipating covering these types of the COVID-19 types of claims. And 
to solidify that position, I, I anticipate we'll see the virus and bacteria exclusion on the property and communicable disease exclusion on the GL, at least for a while until the um, industry gets their arms around everything going on with COVID. Absolutely. So it sounds like a, a lot of this difference in how people are impacted was one, who their clients were and how they were impacted and really where they were in the planting and the harvest cycle of that specific crop. Yes, definitely. So you, you mentioned, Denise, moving forward, do you foresee new exposures arising from the pandemic? Well, the exposures that I see arising from the pandemic, uh, I'm anticipating a greater number of directors and officers liability claims as well as employment practices liability claims. On, on the DNO side, based on acts and decisions of boards of directors, whether or not they responded appropriately to uh, all of the issues related to COVID. And then on the EPL, the, the furloughs, the layoffs, and the rehires, all of that, um, I think we'll see greater numbers in the professional liability types of claims. And with those decisions, like you mentioned, one of them is you know, bringing the workforce back. Um, and the new risks that, that might be impaired in that. You know, going into the, the pandemic, um, unemployment was at a 50-year low. Um, the economy was uh, running strong. As we bring people back to work, and, it, and I understand that for agriculture that was deemed essential, but do we see a difference in what that workforce looks like or how the employer has to treat them and the decisions about their safety moving forward as a result of the pandemic? The workforce is not a lot changed based on what Rick was uh, addressing, but bringing the employees back in and you know, taking temperatures and you know the screening to make sure everybody's healthy and safe, um, those are all considerations as um, not just bringing people back, even even as they continued to work. So those are those are considerations, just that extra time for the screening of, of staff. I would say most of the people I've talked to have had very little labor problems this year. Number one, they never got laid off. They, they were still right. working, so they never got the additional unemployment. They couldn't get unemployment because they had a job, but they didn't have a lot of options to go to other industries that maybe were uh, pressuring ag workers in the past. So for the most part, the folks I've talked to have said our labor issues were pretty smooth this year. But what the companies are doing is, and for food service, I think this was easy because they're used to complying with things. With farming, it's a bit more of a challenge because they're less used to it, but uh, sanitizing tractors, sanitizing services, putting up uh, shields, maybe face masks, taking temperatures, staggering breaks, um, a lot of training to comply with uh, OSHA, CDC requirements. So there's a lot more of that, you know, establishing new break areas outdoors and maintaining mm -hmm. physical distancing. So those are some of the issues that the employers are facing. For the most part, I think handling pretty well, figuring out how to stay in business and keep people healthy to the best of their ability. Yeah, and it, it does seem from what we know about COVID-19 that a lot of the transmission that's been happening has been happening indoors in that 
some of the other verticals you work with uh, where um, you know people are inside eight and a half, nine hours a day working, those might be the type of work environment that is more of a danger and more risky um, than if you're working out outside all day, like I would imagine a lot of the agriculture employees are doing. Now, Rick, you mentioned earlier a lot about um, how there's really been a non-standard impact on your clients financially, that some are, are really struggling, um, some are really doing well right now. Um, for those clients that you see um, struggling, um, if they're unable to make a payment on a premium or their production has been delayed, do they have options um, in terms of paying that premium or how has their coverage been impacted through the financial issues that they're having? I think some carriers have, have postponed some payments. I haven't had anybody say I can't make my premium payment. I think we have made some adjustments on some policies, um, estimating reduced payroll, for example, in a workers' comp, or there may be reduced revenues anticipated. Not as much of it as I would have thought. Um, you know, people that pay have monthly payroll reporting, that pretty well takes care of itself. Um, but we haven't had, I haven't seen a lot of that. I've, I've had very few requests for it. And I've, you know, talked to people about it. And so far, it hasn't been much of an issue. I'll also say, though, that, you know, where, where we operate, the majority of our insureds are in the area that has so far been pretty much unaffected. Um, mm -hmm. And we don't have a lot of clients who are, are are in bad, bad financial shape right now. And a lot of them, you know, may have gotten a, uh, the government loan as well. So I know several of them have, which has helped their cash flow even if they are having other issues. So. Um, and Denise, I think this question is um, for you. If, if an insurer does have to make a claim, um, what are some of the things that they should keep in mind? Is there um, documentation or financials or records that they should have ready before filing a COVID-19 related claim? Sure, so um, that would be like for a business income type of claim and we've all seen you know, in the news and have an understanding again that um, most of the carriers really had no intention of responding to business income claims. But nonetheless, when a client wants to make a claim, we are there to um, guide them through the process. And definitely, well, we ended up receiving this really great checklist from a vendor, um, a forensic accountant that we've been using to provide to our clients so that they can prepare. And not all of it's going to be in advance. Some of it's going to be as as it goes but definitely copies of any government or executive order that tells tells them that they have to close their business right the shutdown um and then a, a timeline of the impact to the business op operational impacts um impacts on suppliers financials sales information so just all of that financial data that will be reviewed to look at the historical income and what's been lost. The thing I would say though, is that many of our clients haven't gone to this extent yet because 
um, most most of our clients have received coverage denials. Um, coverage denials on the for the clients who have the virus and bacteria exclusion on their policy, those were issued fairly promptly. Those without the exclusion took, you know, 30, 60 days, but they're they're starting to roll in now. So the clients that I've worked with on on the business income loss have not even had the opportunity to get to the next step where you'll be providing all of the documentation. And that response from the carriers that you're seeing, is that uniform? Or are you getting um, different guidelines from them, different responses based on which company you're working with? Um, it, 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 does, it does vary, uh, except for those that have the virus and bacteria exclusion. Again, those were pretty pr prompt, within a, actually right. within a couple of weeks. And those without, um, each, each carrier had a different approach as far as investigating a little deeper and getting more information about dates, not necessarily about financial data, just about dates and, and the government orders, um, and really just documenting to make sure that their denial is accurate. You know, they've, they've got to work it from both ends, from uh, a good faith perspective and to demonstrate to the client that they've exhausted all avenues. So looking forward, you know, as the economy begins to open up, um, as states are loosening their restrictions, that's going to really impact, uh, you know, a lot of the people that your ad clients are selling to. Um, do you see a silver lining to the situation? Do you see an opportunity from a financial perspective um, for these clients to maybe invest in new agricultural processes or the parts that broke down during the pandemic and, and rethink how that's done? Um, what do you think are the lessons that we learned from this? Well, I, I would suggest that, that it's time to take a step back and look at a business continuity plan okay. um, because this is likely going to repeat itself in some way, shape, or form and to be more prepared um, in order to minimize the financial impact of, of a shutdown. Yeah, absolutely. Rick, would there be any silver lining? Yeah. Well, I, I think people will look for ways to stay in business, obviously, and whether that is a involves a process where you could switch from food service to retail pack, um, depending on what your product is. Um, maybe different ways of getting product to your customer. I think there were breakdowns in transportation early on, especially in March. Um, I hear stories of product being shipped overseas and they can't unload the boat for three weeks and it sits up you know, sits in the harbor for three weeks till it's unloaded. Depending upon your product, if you've got fresh meat on board with a, a you know, it's it's only got so much shelf life in the bag mm -hmm. and they didn't anticipate it sitting for three weeks to get unloaded. So um, I, I think people will pay attention to maybe some of the things that we took for granted in the past and, you know, think things through. Um, I've also heard that 
they're going to try to eliminate any naked produce in a grocery store. Everything will be in a package, you know, much as, you know, if you think back in the past, you used to buy lettuce, just loose lettuce uncovered. And I don't believe that will be in the future plans for produce. So I think you see some of these things that will come along, how they impact everything. It's kind of hard to tell, but, you know, people start paying attention and, to this type of issue and say how you know they're going to address this just like any other peril they'll be faced with like a fire everybody had a contingency plan for a fire or a tornado and this this will be another uh, risk profile that you'll have to address in the future very interesting so in going forward um, not speaking on the clients now but do you think this pandemic will change the way uh, the industry buys insurance or how you'll have to sell it to them. So I was sharing with Rick earlier that this morning I was, I had my first um, prospect appointment with another broker and we did it by zoom, which was great. I mean, it was nice to be able to see everybody's face and have, you know, some kind of connection that way. Um, it would be very difficult just over the phone and, what I asked Rick was, could you imagine trying to place coverage for one of your big ag clients with never having even walked the premises, never having seen their full operation? How, how can you do the right thing if you don't physically and visibly see what they're doing and how they do it? That's an E&O Nightmare. Yeah, it's just... But by the same token, I had two face-to-face -face meetings with people this week, which is the first one since this started. So I think people are relaxing. I think some of this will start to go back to normal. I can't imagine doing it, operating effectively in this business where you don't have some face-to-face -face contact and, and get to learn your client and get to know them. And maybe that's just me, but... Um, I think it would it would be difficult to have the kind of conversations that you have when you actually are face to face with each other and looking at the operation. Yeah, you you develop a stronger relationship, a, a stronger bond when you have that face to face communication and relationship. It's different once you've established that to, for instance conduct your claim reviews by phone or maybe renewal information by phone. But I think until you have that real strong connection, I don't see how a phone call or a Zoom call can replace a face-to-face -face visit. Right. I, and, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, like I said in the beginning, you're a trusted advisor. A lot of that trust mm -hmm. is made in person when you're shaking their hand and now we're talking about never shaking hands again. So, um, yeah, but I can still bump them a little, so. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> now, one of the things that we've continually heard throughout the crisis is that a pandemic is not insurable. Now, I know the council is working on uh, prospective solutions, um, possibly a Pandemic Risk Insurance Act, something along the lines of TRIA, um, to get government assistance should this happen in the future. But uh, assuming insurers maintain their virus exclusion, 
and business interruption and business income claims. Do you see that being an issue when you talk to clients and extra scrutiny about uh, virus exclusions and them thinking this has happened once, I don't want this uh, to happen to me again? I was just going to say, I think, I think it's going to be an issue until we get a PREA type of program in place because of, I mean, the devastating nature of it. I mean, it's, how do you contemplate, how do you, how do you price for a, a pandemic? How, how can you possibly price for it? Who would buy it? It, yeah. it just would be unaffordable. You know, and if you think of, it, of risks that are most appropriately covered by insurance, it is a large loss that happens to a few people, and many people pay a small amount to pay that loss to the few. Right. The pandemic doesn't fit that uh, theory of insurance. It's affected everybody to a huge degree. I, I'm not sure that insurance is the best way to handle it anyway. You know, I agree. Whenever you get these mm -hmm. huge catastrophic losses, whether it is wildfire, in California or the pandemic or whatever it would be, at the end of the day, society puts the bill for it. And I say, what is the cheapest way for society to put the bill through it and for it? And we are all going to pay. And is it through lawsuits with attorneys? Probably not. Is it through taxes? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But it doesn't fit the theory of insurance where you take a small amount from a few to pay large losses, from a many to pay large losses of a few. This has affected everybody in some way. I, I don't think insurance is the best way to handle it, and I'm not sure what is, but um, at this point, what would insurance companies charge for an unknown exposure that affects everybody? It's um, Yeah, you can't underwrite the entire U.S. economy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, and I think that um, that highlights, um, you know, in these future actions, interactions with clients, um, you know, the, the necessity to educate about the role of insurance in situations like this. And um, as you just said uh, very well, Rick, you know, is this the place for insurance? Is this something that you can expect to see in any business interruption uh, policy? Um, and that education becomes important to make them understand that, that situation. Right. Yeah. And the people I've had conversations with, they said, hey, I get it. I, I agree. Nobody ever saw this coming. Um, and, uh, you know, when you sit around with clients and you play the what if game, what if your business burns down? How are we going to address it? And what risks are you faced with? In 35 years, nobody said, I am worried about a pandemic shutting down the nation and the world and ruining my business. Thank you very much um, for sharing your experience. It sounds like um, you've seen a lot over the last couple months and the last many years on top of that. Um, but it does sound like that uh, the agricultural vertical um, hasn't been hit as hard by some of the other verticals that I'm talking to and talking about. Uh, which is good. Um, of course, that's segmented. depends a lot on, on who you're selling to and where you're at in that cycle. Um, but again, uh, thank you for your time today. I think our members and our other brokers that will be listening in uh, will find this uh, really exciting and, uh, and really insightful to what they're seeing as well. So thank you both for being here. Thanks, Ken. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thanks for having us. 
That was the council's Ken Hausenhoff talking with Denise Brown and Rick Harrison of Interwest Insurance Services on the pandemic's effects on the agriculture industry. Thanks for listening and don't forget to check out the rest of our Industries at Work COVID-19 edition podcast series.